0: Good morning. Such a blessed and glorious day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to say more than just read the verse. I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 9. So if you want to turn there while I'm kind of talking. I, I almost went back to this morning. And, and it wasn't because of the worship. It was because of the goodness of our God. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, he danced before the Lord because the presence of God had been returned to Israel. And in this Advent season, Jesus came. And we can look back with joy and excitement, but we can also look forward that he is coming again. Amen? He is coming for his own. So, not not just looking back at how awesome Christmas is and all the cool gifts we get and all these great things, but he's coming again. And he's coming for his own. Amen? Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the jordan galilee of the gentiles people who walk in darkness will see a great light those who live in the dark land the light will shine on them You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They shall be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide their spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, as that the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be wonderful, counselor mighty god eternal father prince of peace there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let us pray. Father, we come to you having just celebrated Thanksgiving, and we come to you with thankful hearts. For Jesus Christ was born. That the burden and the yoke of our sin was laid upon him. That he died on that cross so that we could be in right relationship with you, that we may have a future and a hope in you. That all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. With anticipation. Not only the celebration of your first coming, but the longing for your second. Lord, speak to us this morning through the proclamation of your word. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Hope. We hear that word, and we think of positivity or wishful thinking. But hope is something different. It's greater, it's better, and it's more. Hope is choosing to wait for God to bring His goodness into our lives. It's remembering His faithfulness in our past and trusting His plans for our future. Hope rises when we encounter the light that shatters the darkness and when the long-awaited Messiah makes His home with us. It's an invitation for every person and it's here now because Jesus is here. This is hope. Welcome to Christmas.
1: Welcome to Christmas. We've made it to the final stretch. We are four Sundays away from Christmas. We are five away from 2023. I know tough to take in those are both going to be Sundays for both to, both of them we're going to be meeting together on Christmas Day and on New Year's Day there'll be family services that are similar to today but before we jump too far ahead we in this year have tackled two major things in the bible number 1 we have tackled revelation number 2 we tackled the sermon on the mount And in these next five Sundays, including today, we are going to be really tying those together by looking at Advent. Because Advent is a season of anticipation. It's a season of coming. Both Jesus coming to be born the first time, and as Bruce mentioned, we are also looking forward to His return. And how we live in that. As Jesus comes, He is with us. And God with us brings hope. God with us brings love. God with us brings peace. God with us brings joy. And obviously, God with us brings us Jesus. That is what we're going to be talking about for the next five Sundays, both now and to come. And this week of Advent, we begin with the thought and idea and all of that goes into it, hope. Hope. It's an appropriate topic because we're in the middle of Black Friday weekend. I don't know about you all, but I believe I got an email from every place I've ever bought anything from ever that had my email address on file because there's so much in the American culture that says Christmas is wrapped up in the hope of getting the good deal, of getting the right thing for the right person. There's hope and satisfaction found in the perfect gift. There's joy in that, and there's also joy in even receiving those gifts, because in that I can realize that I matter to somebody else, and that others think highly of me, and really just feeling valuable. Those are the things that we tend to put our hope in at this time of the season. I mean, hope really drives a lot of what we do, even outside of the Christmas season. We hope that a certain school will accept us. We hope that our, our clothes that we wear will cause us to fit in. We hope that our sports team will finally do something, which has not been the case for any of my sports teams this year. Uh, we hope for that job. We hope for that friend or boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse that if we have that, it will bring everything that we ever wanted. That is what we hope for But even if it doesn't happen, then we begin to hope even more that some certain item or some right thing or engaging with the right crowd of people will make everything better and my hopes will be fulfilled. We hope and strive after the supposed promise that as long as I get what I want, I will be happy. Scripture is also filled with hope and also filled with hope. With promise, but it is wrapped up in a much different package than what the commercials are selling you this time of year. God's story of His love for us, His children, has always been filled with great hope and great promise, all wrapped up in His living gift to us and for us. While it's not stuff, I can tell you this it's exactly what you and I need. So, my first question for you this advent season is this do you have the right hope do you have this hope do you have the hope of god found in the manger this christmas season do you have that hope but before we can even jump to the manger i know that that's what we have the tendency to focus on that's what the pictures look like that's all the things that we see in the christmas cards it's even on the front of your god with us book and on the front of our bulletins and everything else before we can jump to the manger and the birth of Jesus, I think we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the beginning so we can fully grasp the importance of the moment of the manger. At this moment in time, you you can't just begin in the middle of a story. Um, I'm not sure about you, but have you ever started a movie in the middle of a movie or got walked in on the middle of a movie and been slightly confused about what's going on and tried to put everything together well that's the same thing that happens with the manger story sometimes we try and start there but the reason that we can't start there is it's the middle of the story you have to go back to the beginning to help us understand some of the questions of why Why, when the manger story happens, is there celebratory singing from the angels? Why is this political panic from Herod so big? Why did the shepherds do what they did in anticipation? Why did the long journey of the wise men matter? Why did they go from afar off in the east to this dinky little town in in the Middle east Why did they do that? Those questions of why are answered before we even get there. Those are the prophecies that we see. I mean, you really have to begin at the root of the story. And that root of that story of the baby in the manger actually is rooted in the grief of the heart of God. That is the reason why we have it. And if you don't understand the grief in the heart of God, I don't think you'll truly understand the glory of the story in the baby in the manger. Growing up, my uncle was a jeweler and he owned a large jewelry store in in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, My cousin still runs it, even still to this day. But I remember him telling me one time or asking me the question on why do they put black behind the diamonds? When they show you a diamond or a ring or any sort of jewelry at a jewelry store, they have it on black felt. Do you know why, he asked me. And you know what it does? It makes the jewelry more brilliant. It makes it shine brighter against the black background. Well, the hope that we have in Jesus and the joy that we have in Jesus and the love that we have in Jesus and the peace that we have in Jesus shines brighter when we put it against the black, dark background of the beginning of the story. All of humanity was created to be in a relationship with God the Father. You may already know that in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they had the perfect relationship with Him. But then, somehow, in some way, they were deceived. They were deceived and they believed that they could become like God. And in that, they rebelled against God, they rebelled against His rules, and they and the rest of the world fell into sin, fell away from God. The story of Genesis tells us about the path that man took away from God to a point that we read in Genesis chapter 6 these words Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time the Lord regretted what he had made that he had made man on earth and he was what deeply grieved this is where the story begins. The grief in the heart of God. Then the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind, whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, the creatures that crawl, and the birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Great thing is, there's a little caveat to the story in verse 8. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. See, mankind had become lovers of themselves. They become lovers of themselves. They had lost their first love. And they no longer, as Jesus points out our first command, love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. They loved themselves, and the wickedness was widespread, and it was evil to their very core. Everything about them, their hearts were wicked. It wasn't a behavior problem. It was a problem at the heart. Guess what? Yes, it ties and sounds familiar to what we talked about with the Sermon on the Mount and talked about in Revelation because this is a big story, the whole thing. We're at the beginning of the story and it goes to the end, and Jesus is tied through it all. Mankind loved themselves. They weren't walking with God, they were walking in darkness, and the worst thing is that they didn't care. They didn't care. It wasn't some occasional thing. This was their lives. Here's the truth it's still today. And that darkness that we walk in, that the world lives in, is void of real hope. Now we have temporary things that we try and fill that void with, but they don't work. And we're going to see, even still today, that people strive after those things. I, 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 I'll give you this example. Yesterday I was watching the news real brief, it was after one of the football games and it had popped up, and They were talking to the NMSU president about all the things that happened between UNM and NMSU about a week and a half ago and the the stuff that had taken place on campus. And he's like, we just have to get gun violence under control. And I found it very interesting that that we want the hope of a lack of morality to be fixed when in that same institution they teach a lack of morality. Morality. It doesn't make any sense. When you teach that you are an accident of nature and not created by a loving God and that life before birth is not worth saving, why in the world would somebody go, oh, but we should give up gun violence and make everything better? Why would that mentality even be there? But we look for hope in these fleeting things instead of look to the hope of Jesus that Jesus brings. That's why I asked that question, do you know the hope of God found in the manger this Christmas season? That story, as we saw Noah, found favor in God. That story fast forwards and you can look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew makes it very clear to lay all of that out. So we see the story unfolding. But as that story unfolds, it goes from Noah to Abraham. And of course, I'm skipping a handful of people in there. But Noah to Abraham, to David, to Solomon. And as you see in there, you'll begin to see Solomon's life unfold. And today, as we'll look, we'll see, as uh, Pastor Bruce read, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah is prophesying to the kingdom of Judah. And the southern kingdom that broke out of the United Kingdom of Israel. You'll see, after Saul and David and Solomon, what became of the northern kingdom was part of Israel that would not recognize Solomon's son Rehoboam as their king. Only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin stayed under the house of Solomon and became the southern kingdom of Judah. And so, Isaiah's prophesying to them, and he's asking that same question in a unique sort of way, that question of hope. He starts out, as Pastor Bruce read in Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So Isaiah begins this passage by revealing the state of the people to whom the great light of hope is shining, has shone upon them. Who is the ho- hope shining to? Well, those who were walking in darkness. And those who are living in the land of darkness and the ones who, who need the light. And even more so, they're the ones who will receive the light. The ones who choose willingly to live in the darkness, Jesus is showing the light to. This is a follow-up found at the beginning of the letter in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5. When he says to the land of Judah, he says these words, O house of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. Now here's the crazy thing about this. It's these people who have rebelled against God, who are not listening, that will be the ones that get to see the great light. And I'm not sure about you, but why start with the wicked ones? Why start with the ones that are that way? I can't think of any story that they start with the wicked ones who are wicked to their very core to be the ones who are redeemed. I was like, well, maybe maybe Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. But even when you go to the ghost of Christmas past, he was good at one point in time, at least in the story. At least there's something redemptive there. What Isaiah is saying here, no, these are the people who are in darkness and they have been there the whole time. Who would go after the people in darkness first? And the answer is God, Jesus. He's the one that's going after them. And God, he still does it today. Because the book of Romans reminds me, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And I think about that, and I think about how Isaiah really, he he remembers and prophesies about the condition of man. And he remembers, going back to the beginning of the story, how the curse and Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. And he's talking about the darkness that, that fell over the land. And that is that backdrop, that black backdrop that makes hope shine so much brighter the hope that he's prophesied about. And he's prophesying to the land of Judah, but he's also telling us that it was a people who did not walk with God who needed a Savior. It was a sinner. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about it in what? Luke chapter 5, verse 32, when he says, I have not come to call the righteous. I have come to call the sinners to repentance. That's why Jesus came. And there's a, a great news of great hope that, that, that contrast that black background to the, the shining hope that we have jesus and jesus brings that hope and how great it is because of how dark a situation we were in before he came do you realize how amazing the hope is that god would come to be with us i've been a christian now for a long time 1988 i'm not going to do the math but you can that's when I met Jesus for the first time how often do I forget how amazing God's grace is for me because I've just had it for so long when the 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 usual just becomes the usual instead of how amazing God's grace is every single day of my life that he still loves me when I fail his love never fails but mine does Those are the things I think about as I look at this and the great hope that comes in it. Do you remember the situation that you were in before Jesus? Do you remember the situation maybe you're in now before Jesus? Do you remember what he saved you from? Do you believe you were walking in darkness? And sometimes we tend to lean that way even as a follower of Christ. Do you believe you're a sinner? See, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, not just the bad, wicked ones. We are all bad and wicked. Do we understand that truth? Because I think we have to grasp that before we can even begin to understand the hope and the promise that God brings in Jesus. We have to understand it so we can understand how much God with us really, truly matters. The hope that he brings, the love that he brings, the peace that he brings, the joy that he brings, that we're gonna talk about. The fact that he brought Jesus to us. That's why this holiday season means so much more than just gifts under a tree. Truth is, we can't find peace and hope and love and joy on our own. At least not lasting peace and love and joy said this for the past couple of months. We've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. We are not righteous on our own, at least not according to God. Maybe according to ourselves, but not according to God. Did you know this was one of the hardest aspects of the gospel for a guy by the name of Martin Luther? Maybe you've heard of him. It was the hardest aspect of the gospel for him to grasp. He was reading Romans chapter 1, and he came across verses 16 and 17, which say this. says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes first to the jew and also to the greek for in it it being the gospel the righteousness of god revealed from faith to faith just as is written the righteous will live by faith see knowing the gospel showed god's righteousness was not the most joyful thing for luther and sometimes it's not for us either because the gospel revealing how righteous God is also forced Luther to acknowledge how far from righteous he was on his own It, it was those verses that changed everything he realized how dark his life was in sin apart from God it set that backdrop that black backdrop our sinful condition is the backdrop to the greatest news of hope we will ever hear if you are, not, are sitting here this morning and you do not believe that you are a sinner, that you are somebody who was and maybe even still is far from God and you need to be saved by grace through faith, not on your own works, this message isn't going to sound great to you. But if you are, if you are one who needs hope and a promise of God's grace and mercy, this is going to be it. But if you don't know, then you don't know. I know that sounds weird, but if you don't know that you need the grace and mercy of God, then why would you even want it? If I just was out in the middle of an ocean thinking I was just out for a swim and not drowning, why would I care about a life preserver? I mean, that's kind of where we're at in all of this. We have a tendency in our lives to forget about God's amazing grace because it becomes typical, casual. But the truth is, Because of that, we become a lot like non-believers in our response to things that happen in this life. We forget what hope is. I told you earlier kind of what hope does. It drives us. But let me take a second and backtrack to tell you what hope actually is. The world's definition and scriptural definition are very similar in their words. But they're not the same in how those words within the definition are defined. This is the definition we see. Hope is a vision for better days ahead that help us change our perspective in the current times or the present. The only difference that we really find between the scriptural and the world is what are the better days ahead? What are the better days ahead? How far ahead are we talking in question? Is it this life or is it the next one? See, the Christian should base their hope in God, on his word, where his promises are found. Because the world is dark and the hope found here is temporary at best. I share with you up front, but I saw that this week in the hospital. Many of you know this already, but again, I want to thank you for lifting up my little girl in prayer. And the opportunity to to see God work is just just amazing to me. But this last weekend, all my kids stayed home sick from, from church. And I got home from church, and, and Glory, my youngest one, seemed to be doing the worst, really. And we were keeping an eye on her, but as the night progressed, she was getting worse and worse and worse. About 1 a.m., we decided to take her down to the ER at UNMH, and the reason why we went down there is because they would just transfer from any other hospital to there anyway. So they got her in. They immediately tested her for COVID, for the flu, and for a thing called RSV. They got her on oxygen. They got her on fever meds. And as they did... Um, we waited. I waited at home. I dropped them off at the hospital. Christy waited at the hospital in this ER. And I'll tell you what, while I waited, I was, I was worried. I was worried. And the reason why I was worried, because Gloria has so many medical issues, including issues with her heart. RSV and the flu and COVID are all much more dangerous than for any typical person. As a matter of fact, in this last week, We have known, Christy knows them better than I, but we've known three people who have lost children to RSV. So, with that as a backdrop, I was worried. I was scared. I was thinking all the different things that could happen. All of the what-ifs those mental games started to play. And they kept pumping in oxygen, and she wasn't getting better. We sent out the prayer requests, and as we sent out the prayer requests, the numbers stabilized, and the things started to happen. And I walked around, as I took over for Christy on Tuesday night, I walked through the ER, the pediatric ER down there, And all the beds upstairs were full. And all the beds in the ER were full. They had beds in the hallways with people just sitting because there's so many kids that are sick. And as I sat there and as I watched, hope was on my mind because I knew I had to preach a sermon this week on hope. And hope was on my mind. As it was, all I could think was hope in the days to come There will be better days ahead. That my kid will get better. That the kids that were filling all of these beds would get better. But here's the thing at any point in time, it was possible that hope could fade for any child in that room, including my own. And if it did, if it did for my kid, how would I respond? how would I react? I'm going to be completely and totally honest with you. I would be devastated. I wouldn't be here this morning for one. I don't know if I'd ever come back. I would be crushed. Everything about it because it didn't go the way that I wanted it to. That's the world's hope as it goes the way I want it to. When we have hope in God, we hope that it goes the way He wants it to. And that changes our perspective. Worldly hope is found in what I want. And I'll tell you, that is an extreme case. An extreme case. But even if we turned it down a notch and went from devastation down to disappointment, how do we react? What if the feeling of being let down or the feeling of confusion or the feeling of sadness come over us, that that wasn't the way it was supposed to go, comes to fruition how do we respond? What if we had hoped that we would keep that job? What if we had hoped that we would get married? What if we hoped that we would stay married? Our kids would, you fill in the blank, but hopefully that blank is following Jesus. What if you hoped you'd get that house or get that car or, or, get that car or, or maybe something just as simple as this? Maybe you hoped that this Thanksgiving would be a little bit more Norman Rockwell, and it wasn't. How do we react? Too often we forget that that far-off hope that God promises gets really, we get blinded, because we believe what the world is taught that is something different than God did, and we believe that somehow we have this temporary hope called the myth of progress, the myth of progress. Somehow, some way, Americans, especially within the middle class feature have this idea that our life is a graph and it's always supposed to be going up and to the right. That it will never drop. It will always be going up and to the right. But when it doesn't happen that way, when reality sets in, we are disappointed. And we have to understand that there's going to be disappointments in this world. We, we have this thinking that because it's always up and to the right, there will be no disappointments. But I was looking at the thesaurus and looked at the word disappointment just to see what other words were out there. And there's another word that came up. It was disillusionment. Disillusionment. In this world, I believe we live in disillusionment. We are disillusioned to think that everything is going to go the way we want it here. But then we're disillusioned to that. But here's the question. Is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing to be disillusioned? to be disappointed because when you look at the definition of disillusion you know what it means to be free from illusion to have a reality check to have that reality check that having a reality check isn't all bad because satan i believe works in the speciality of illusion he likes to deceive we're under the illusion that this world is going to give us lasting hope and it will not it will not it's not true What if when we feel disappointment, what if when we feel disillusionment, instead of saying, God, why have you let me down, which we've all said at some point in time, we were to say, where was I living in an illusion? Now, I wish it was as easy as saying, well, followers of Christ, followers of Christ will find hope in Jesus and he'll never let us down, which is true. But none of us really, truly Believe that. Because let's be honest, have you ever felt, and I'll use that word feelings, have you ever felt let down by God? Have you ever forget, felt that he didn't come through? Even when our hope was in Jesus, I think we often relate to the, excuse me. I think we often relate to the two disciples who are found on the road to Emmaus. They're found in, in the end of Luke, Luke chapter 24, after Jesus had died and buried and been resurrected. They were walking and they were discussing and they were arguing about what should have been. What they think should have been. The way they thought that Jesus should have done things. Sometimes I feel like we are those two. That we somehow think, Jesus, this is the way you should have done it. But God has other plans. And when we come to that realization... That we walk with him and not in the darkness. That it changes everything. See, this world is dark. And it is void of real hope. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we need to hear the same message that is the beginning of Isaiah chapter two, verse five, when he says, come and walk in the light of the Lord. That is where we need to be this Christmas season because we need Hope. We need hope. I told you up front. It's what drives us to do what we do. And hope has to have an object. The followers of Jesus need to have Jesus as our hope, need to have him be that object. Our hope is not based on some generic sense of optimism, nor is it the stability of living in America or a rising standard of living. Not that any of those things are bad, but that's not where we put our hope because they all can and will let us down. Our hope needs to be in God. Our hope needs to be in His Word. Our hope needs to be in His character. Our hope needs to be in His faithfulness. We're going to break those down just real quick as we go. So the first thing I want to say is this. Our hope needs to be based on God's Word. Isaiah. Walk in the light. What is that light? What is the illuminating mercy of God's grace showing us and showing the people of Judah in Isaiah's prophecy? Well, you know what it says? It's something that we sang in that song up front for unto us a child is born now i knew it in the csv or uh, sorry the csb version and with that um, i have to read it because i'm so accustomed to the esv and the kjv versions that you probably know as well this is what it says for a child will be born for us a child will be given to us that is the promise that isaiah is laying out he's he's going back to a very specific promise to describe the hope that we should have that he has. His hope is in a child because one of the first promises that God gives us was about a child. Remember God saying in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he's talking to the serpent and he's laying out the punishment to the serpent and the man and the woman in the garden. Uh, and he says these words, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, her child. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's in that promise that Adam and Eve and everyone that followed received hope. They were given hope. What started by Satan in the garden will one day be remedied, is what he's saying. This offspring, this seed, this one male child will strike Satan on the head and will kill him. Now he may be injured in the battle, but not fatally. We are meant to turn every page of our Bible after that promises in Genesis chapter 3 and find hope. Every time you see the phrase, so-and-so father, so-and-so. Or if you also are KJV, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Every time you see that phrase, you're supposed to be reminded and maybe mentally insert into there this question. Is this the one? Is this the one who is that male child we were promised is this the one in whom all of our hope will rest the promise of a child given to you and to me and unto us as it says in that verse was to bring us hope it's to bring us hope and you may be wondering but why a child why should the arrival of a child be such good news and even if you aren't wondering that where would you go as you wrote if you were prophesying If you were the prophet, what would you have said? Look where Isaiah goes. He says this next in verse six. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This is a very specific child that he's describing. What does it mean? The government will be on his shoulders. We'll look at verse seven. The dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. That is an amazing passage. and I think sometimes as Americans, we miss how amazing it truly is. And the reason why is because we think constitutional republic or some people confuse it with a democracy are the way to go. That somehow elected officials are the way to go. That we find our hope in them until ours doesn't win. But that's not it. That's not what we're saying here. Isaiah is prophesying a child who will be king that will bring us hope. A king, hope in his first coming, hope in his second coming. Only a king who holds the government on his shoulders can do such a thing. He holds his people in his hands. He's the one that will bring that promised real peace. Only a king who sits on the throne of David and establishes the kingdom and upholds its justice and righteousness can bring us real hope. This is future perfection. This is us with Jesus now, but even more so in perfection, what we're waiting for as Jesus will return again. There are glimpses of it in our world, but again, it's only temporary. Well, what kind of child can bring it permanently? Not just temporary. Whose kingdom will there be no end? See, the world's best attempts have fallen short. Even the best kings described in Scripture, David and Solomon, didn't fully achieve this. And we already know that our elective officials, there's no president and there's no any other elected officials in America that even come close to doing this. What child, what kind of kid can do this? well listen again in this verse it says his name will be wonderful counselor mighty god eternal father prince of peace all those words matter but there's two that stood out to me the most and that is mighty god mighty god there's only one child who can do this the only one way his counsel will be pure and holy only one way he can truly be the prince of peace he has to be god himself He has to be the eternal Father, Almighty God. That is promised child, and that promised child will bring us hope. So God's word shows us that, but not just God's word, but also God's character. There's a small story in the book of Mark. Mark chapter five, verses 25 through 34. It's easy to overlook, but it's a great story of hope. It's about a woman. We don't even know her name, but she had a bold hope. For 12 years, the woman had been bleeding somehow. No one's been able to help her. Doctors have tried. The woman's condition had only grown worse. It was a condition that would have affected everything about her every day of her life. Those of you who have long-term illness probably could relate in this way. The woman was probably considered unclean and, and treated as an outcast because of her health problems. Even people who might try to understand her problems, they couldn't. And she didn't even understand it herself. But she'd heard about Jesus. She'd heard the stories, She'd heard the miracles. She'd heard the healings. And she believed. And because she believed, a hope awakened inside of her. The hope of healing. The hope of a new life. And it drove her to action. Again, hope drives what we do. If I can just get close enough and touch his clothes, I'll be healed. That's what she thought. If this Jesus who is who he says he is, he can be the one who heals me. It was a bold hope that she held on to. It may seem like a small action to us, but guess what? She did what she could just to get close enough to Jesus and reach out. And when she did, it changed her life. It made all the difference in the world. Was it hard? Probably. I mean, you have to think, fighting her way through the crowd must have been difficult, especially when she's an untouchable. She can't be in the middle of it all. She had this long-term illness. She's been stigmatized and looked down upon. Was she afraid? Was she afraid? You better believe she was, especially when Jesus started looking for her in the crowd. Who touched me? Who touched me? And all his disciples were like, dude, we're in the middle of a crowd. People are going to touch you. And he's like, no, 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 no. Who touched me? My guess is that woman probably froze. Right in that moment. On one hand, she knew she'd been healed miraculously. But on the other hand, Jesus was looking for her. And was she going to be punished for touching him? Was there going to be a penalty? And she's like, I, it, it, was, it was me. And Jesus connected with her at that moment deeply and directly, just as if we've said, when God is with us, it changes everything. And the healing and the peace and the freedom that he gave her, it changed her life. See, this is our God, this is his character. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our praise, whether we like the outcome or not of the situation that we're in. He was and still is God with us. He fulfilled Israel's hope from the Messiah when he arrived on that first Christmas. He fulfilled humanity's hope for victory over death when he resurrected on that first Easter. And one day he will ultimately fulfill all hope and complete God's work of restoration for all of creation. And we look forward to that day. That is the promise that he left us with. But he also left us with another one in Matthew 28:20 20, when he says I am with you always even to the very end of this age. This is a promise worthy to fuel our hope because God is true to his character because of who he is we can take hope in him. The final thing is, is we can be put our hope in and on God's faithfulness. How has God worked in your life? What are those moments and memories when you have experienced God's work in you? What things have happened? You know, there's times when you had no doubt that he was there and that he was working, and maybe it was recently. Maybe it was as early as Tuesday night. Maybe it was a, a while ago. But in each one of those circumstances, as they fill your head and fill your brain, remember how God's Spirit was there with you. You might say, well, what does that have to do with hope? What do those memories have to do with the here and now? Well, here's what I've found. Gratitude breeds hope. Thankfulness fosters hope. Acknowledgement and appreciation of God brings hope. Once you hear these words from Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, I don't go there very often, and my guess is neither do you, because we don't like to spend time in lament. But here is what, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, says, "...yet I call call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him." it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the lord did you hear how he began that yet this i call to mind and therefore i have hope we need to understand that like the prophet jeremiah does here there is hope in the future when we remember that god has done what he's done in the past jeremiah again he was called the weeping prophet his life wasn't great but he knew that hope sparks like fire. It flows like water. It, it grows like a seed. Hope grows and spreads like a living thing. But just in the same way it can hope, and it can spread and grow as a living thing, it can also dwindle and wane and even die. But with nurture and care, it can revive and flourish and multiply. Focusing on gratiti- gratitude can renew a hope within us. Recognize it and appreciating what God has done can grow a hope within us. And it will continue to grow within us and it will continue to lead to what he's going to do in the future. Sharing this gratitude and hope with those who love and support our church family, it can multiply the effect. I I felt it this week. I I hate to say that that God used this to be a sermon illustration, but here it is. I, I saw it and I felt it even in the darkest days, we know and we wait for God to move. See, we need the hope of Jesus. We need the hope of Jesus. As I sat on Friday working out the message the way I wanted it to go, because normally I'm done by Friday, or at least pretty close to done, I was just starting on Friday, because everything else that took place this week. And I was sitting there, and I had obviously had Glory on my mind. She was still on oxygen. By the way, she's off oxygen and off her monitor, because God is good. And we actually got a night of sleep without a monitor going off with alarms all night long. It was a beautiful thing. But I was sitting there with glory on my mind and I had Christmas music on in the background because the day after Thanksgiving, that's okay. That's when you're supposed to do it. That's right, praise God. And the song, O oh Holy Night, came on. And I've heard that song a thousand times by a thousand different artists. But as it came on, I began to listen to the words and as I did, I thought to myself, okay, God, this... This isn't coincidental. It says these words, O holy night, the stars are shi- uh, brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in its sin and error pining, basically suffering in our sin and in our error, till he appears and our souls felt that worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees and hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. I kept thinking about that and hearing that and listening to it over and over again. But as I heard those words, I'm like, those words are over 180 years old. But they still ring true today. Against the backdrop of darkness in the world that we live in, a thrill of hope has come to a weary world. And they rejoice. Jesus has come. And for us, there's a glorious morn that not only do we saw on Christmas Day, but also we'll see that light again when he returns. See, I'd like for each and every one of us to experience the thrill of hope today. If you're a follower of Christ, can I say, base your hope on his word, his character, and his righteousness. And if you're not, can I challenge you today to see the things of this world that you put your hope in are worthless, even if it's yourself. Even if it's yourself, the worth you have is found in the fact that Jesus Christ came to live and die for you. That God would spend his only Son to redeem you. That's where we find our worth. Not in the things, not in what we can do, not in what we might even call our self righteousness. Everything else is weak. We need to look to something greater. Can I tell you that Jesus is greater? Read the book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater. His hope that he brings is greater. His love that he brings is greater. His peace that he brings is greater. The joy that he brings is greater. He is greater. Can we put our hope in that today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. And thank you for the way that that you continue to work in us through your word. And continue to work in us through our circumstances. And continue to work in us even when we don't want it. Even when we want to choose the darkness, God, you shine your light and put that hope as a bright, shining diamond on that black background. God, we want to give you all the praise and the glory this morning. And thank you that you are our living hope. That you broke through the darkness to rescue us. God, we give you all the praise and the glory. We give you thanks this morning on this Thanksgiving weekend. We pray in your name.